Welcome to the Come Follow Me with David Ridges podcast. I'm Julie Clough, author of Miracles in the Darkness, Building a Life After Loss. I'm your guest host for the week of August 16th to the 22nd, covering Doctrine and Covenants section 89 to 92. All right, let's jump right in. The only thing connecting these sections is the time period. These four revelations were given within a little over two weeks from February 27th, 1933, nearly three years after the church was organized to March 15th, 1933. Our discussion today is going to be centered around section 89 and 90. Section 91 is a very brief revelation regarding a question Joseph had while translating the Old Testament, and section 92 is a brief revelation to Frederick G. Williams, who had been called as counselor in the First Presidency. These revelations in the Doctrine and Covenant are all about the restoration of the gospel and the organization of the church in its fullness upon the earth. When I consider the theme of these sections, I'm reminded of a broader theme, that of restoration and the process of restoration. A lot of times we think of, you know, the restoration happened, the first vision, but it really has been line upon line, precept upon precept. When I think of the restoration of the church, I think of our own restoration. We come here whole from our Father in heaven with a blueprint of divinity. We've had, we have all the pieces. We have everything we need to move through life successfully, successfully. As we continue through life, if we have a desire to do God's will and a desire to return to Him, if we have hope and faith in God's plan, in the divinity and mission of Jesus Christ, and in the comfort and the truth that the Holy Ghost reveals, we will be led to be restored to our wholeness and our completeness, which is culminated in salvation and exaltation. God has not left us to wander in the wilderness of mortality alone. He has given us everything we need. In 2 Nephi 2.27, he says, Men are free according to the flesh, and all things are given them which are expedient unto man, and they are free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men, or to choose captivity and death according to the captivity and power of the devil. The war in heaven continues here. We are still choosing, and God has given us everything that is expedient for us to be able to make the choice of our own free will. We are still choosing day after day, which plan we will follow, Heavenly Father's plan or the devil's. We see this pattern of wholeness and restoration line upon line, this idea of things given line upon line illustrated in the scriptures over and over. In Doctrine and Covenants 98 verses 11 to 12, he said, I give unto you a commandment that ye shall forsake all evil and cleave unto all good, that ye shall live by every word which proceedeth forth out of the mouth of God. For he will give unto the faithful line upon line, precept upon precept. We see this pattern in Moses as he learned of his mission and the gifts that the Father gave him. 
We see it in Abraham's life. We see it in Esther's life. We, you can see this pattern of line upon line, precept upon precept in the lives of the prophets and the, and the faithful that are illustrated in the scriptures. Even Jesus Christ, when he descended from his throne above to walk among men, he grew from grace to grace line upon line, precept upon precept. We are not meant to come to earth and know everything and have everything laid out in front of us, exactly what we're supposed to do and and how we're supposed to do it. We are meant to strive line upon line, precept upon precept. And as we watch and as we as we study the restoration of the church, as we study the restoration of the gospel, we see this development we see this development of the restoration in these sections of the Doctrine and Covenants. Now, section 89 is often referred to as a principle with a promise. And I think we could title any commandment with the same words, a principle with a, pro- with a promise. Heavenly Father gives us commandments so that we can follow correct principles so that our life can be blessed. So we can receive the promises that were given before we even came to the earth. Perhaps you're already familiar with how this revelation came to be. The school of the prophets were meeting in the small room above the kitchen in the home that Joseph and Emma were living in. And the men had a habit of smoking and chewing tobacco as they met. Emma would come in after the meeting and smell the after effects of all the smoke. And she'd see the mess the tobacco had left. And she'd see the black stains on the floor as she swept up and cleaned. I'm sure it felt jarring to her. I'm sure it felt jarring to her to feel the spirit that must have been lingering in that room, that was there in that room and and present, but also be met by that pungent odor and the sights of poor habits. And she discussed it with Joseph. And I imagine he felt the stirring of the spirit confirmed to him that what she was saying was correct, that something must be done, something different needed to happen. And in true fashion, the Lord gives Joseph a revelation as an answer to his question. And that revelation is not only a revelation to solve the immediate problem, but to bless the lives of millions and to continue the bless to bless the lives of millions and really to think about the impact of this section of this revelation that's contained in section 89 of the doctrine and covenants think of the millions of lives that have been blessed with good health with freedom from addiction with freedom to live and to think clearly. Here are some of the applicable principles I see just in this historical story of how it came about. First of all, Emma paid attention to the discomfort she felt and the misalignment of the situation, and she expressed her concern. 
Then Joseph humbly listened to her concern, and he followed the prompting to take it to the Lord. He asked, and he received, and he followed the instructions given. That's praying with real intent. And as a result of Emma and Joseph's humble humble desire to follow God's will, we're all blessed because of it. We, in turn, can also notice when we feel discomfort in a situation. We can humbly listen and follow promptings. We can ask for further instruction with real intent to receive and obey. As we look at the history of the application of this particular principle that we refer to as the word of wisdom, we see further evidence of the gentle grace of God as these principles are applied line upon line and precept upon precept. In David Ridge's book, Your Study of the Doctrine and Covenants Made Easy, on this section, he says, The word of wisdom was not a commandment when it was first given. However, in a general conference of the church held on September 9th, 1851, now this is how many years later? Let me do some quick math. 18 years later, President Brigham Young presented it to the members as a commandment. Still, many did not comply, perhaps not considering it to be as serious and important as other commandments. Finally, in 1919, when the Under the direction of President Heber J. Grant, the Word of Wisdom became a temple recommend item and thus began to be locked in as a vital part of being a faithful saint. It has now become a commandment in the full sense of the word, just in time to protect us from evils and designs which do and will exist in the hearts of conspiring men, such as the rampant drug culture, alcohol addiction, and sexual immorality, which often go with smoking and drinking. President Joseph F. Smith explained why the word of wisdom was not given as a commandment at first. He said, At that time, if the word of wisdom had been given as a commandment, it would have brought every man addicted to the use of these noxious things under condemnation. So the Lord was merciful and gave them a chance to overcome before he brought them under the law. Again, we see God's mercy, we see God's grace in the history of how this principle that we call the word of wisdom was applied with his grace. In verse 3 of section 89, we read, given for a principle with promise, here we see that phrasing, adapted to the capacity of the weak and the weakest of all saints who are or can be called saints. This wording, this idea has always captured my attention. And we we often hear this, this thought, we will never be tempted beyond our ability. And it almost sounds like, you know, what this is saying here, that, that even the weak can follow this, follow this commandment. But when we when we uh, repeat this idea that we will never be tempted beyond our ability to resist the temptation, what we so often miss in that when I hear people refer to this is we miss the back half of that, 
We will never be tempted beyond our ability to resist temptation with God's help. And we see this, this idea explained in, in the scriptures. First of all, 1 Corinthians 1.13, God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. So he's not saying that you're not going to be tempted and that it might be beyond what you're able, but that he's going to give you escape, that he's going to give you the strength, the ability to move past the temptation. Alma 13, 28, that ye would humble yourselves before the Lord and call on his holy name and watch and pray continually that ye may not be tempted above that which ye can bear. And thus be led by the Holy Spirit, becoming humble, meek, submissive, patient, full of love and all suffering, having faith on the Lord, having hope that ye shall receive eternal life, having the love of God always in your hearts, that ye may be lifted up at the last day and enter into his rest. Again, he prefaces, be humble, call on his name watch and pray continually. These are the things that are going to allow you to not be tempted above that which you can bear because you will be led by the Holy Holy Spirit. You will become humble, meek, submissive, patient, full of love and all suffering and, and long suffering and having faith on the Lord, having hope that you shall receive eternal life. We see these three principles in in that in that verse 29, having faith on the Lord, having hope that ye shall receive eternal life, and having the love of God always in your heart. God always gives abundantly. He gives abundantly. Section 89 is what we might call the general health commandment. In other words, it outlines avoid these substances that cause addiction and entrap our bodies that we, we don't have dominion over them and partake of these things that God has given and provided for the care of your body. And then these are the blessings of doing this. This is the outline. Avoid these things, partake of these things, and here are the blessings. And, and we tend to a lot of times really focus in on what we're avoiding. And, and sometimes we don't, we don't really pay particular attention to those things that he's saying, you know, I've given you these herbs of the field, you know, the, the vegetables, the fruits, the, the things of the earth. I've given you these things that you might be blessed. And as individuals, this is the, you know, section 89 is the, the general health commandment, the general health outline. But as individuals, we have the opportunity to read, study, and ponder the commandment of care for our body and receive further insight and knowledge of the care of our specific body. We have the right and the privilege to go to Heavenly Father in prayer and ask, is there more? What else do I need to do? What else do I need to know about my specific body at this specific time with my specific circumstances, exposure, what have you? What do I need to know specific to me to apply this commandment? 
and to partake of these blessings, these beautiful, beautiful blessings that he's given, that we will have health in in their navel and marrow in the bones and wisdom and great treasures of knowledge and will run and not be weary and walk and not faint that the destroying angel shall pass by. What is it that I need to know to practice this in full for myself? This is practicing hope, faith, and charity. We have the hope that these blessings apply to us. And and too often in our modern vernacular, we we associate hope with wishing. And it would be really helpful for us to, to get back to the, the divine uh, definition of hope, which is that certainty that this is what is ahead. This is what's available to us. This is what we can look forward to. So we have the hope that these blessings apply to us. We have the faith that God will provide and we have charity for ourselves as we learn and grow line upon line when it comes to the care of our physical being. As the Lord has reminded us, there is no commandment that is not spiritual in nature. I have seen this play out in my life. We are holistic beings. And as I take, as I take better care of my body, which affects and sharpens my mind and the instrument that God clothed me with in this temporal state, I have felt the spirit more strongly and more clearly in my life, making it easier to learn and grow line upon line and precept upon precept. Section 90 is another example of watching the restoration unfold just as we're still participating in the restoration. The church is being organized uh, in this section, we're still seeing this happening. It's been nearly three years when this uh, revelation was given. It's been nearly three years since the formal organization of the church in 1830. Now, on March 8th, 1833, the prophet Joseph receives more instruction on forming what we now refer to as the First Presidency of the Church. The previous year, in 1832, there had been men called as counselors to Joseph, but there had been many changes and the structure wasn't firm or well-established. Turning to the background information on section 90 in David Ridge's book, The Doctrine and Covenants Made Easier, it says, The revelation was given to the prophet Joseph Smith, on March 8, 1833, in Kirtland, Ohio. In this revelation, the Lord instructed that Sidney Rignan and Frederick D. G. Williams were to be equal with thee, Joseph Smith, in holding the keys of this last kingdom. As a result, 10 days later, on March 18, 1833, they were ordained as counselors in the presidency of the high priesthood, which later became known as the First Presidency. Joseph Smith described how this took place. I laid my hands on brothers Sidney and Frederick and ordained them to take part with me in holding the keys of this last 
kingdom, and to assist in the presidency of the high priesthood as my counselors, after which I exhorted the brethren to faithfulness and diligence in keeping the commandments of God, and gave much instruction for the benefit of the saints, with a promise that the pure in heart should see a heavenly vision, and after remaining a short time in secret prayer, the promise was verified. For many present For many present had the eyes of their understanding opened by the Spirit of God, so as to behold many things. After partaking of the sacrament, many of the brethren saw a heavenly vision of the Savior, and concourses of angels, and many other things, of which each has a record of what he saw. And that was uh, quoting Joseph Smith specifically. It goes on to say, The presidency of the high priesthood became known as the first presidency in 1835. In the revelation recorded in section 90, Joseph Smith is reminded that he holds the keys of the kingdom and ever would. In verse 3, it says, The keys of this kingdom shall never be taken from you while thou art in the world, neither in the world to come. Isn't that interesting that he was, he was told at that time that this sacred calling, these, these keys that he would receive were not only for this time period, but for all time period. Through the prophet, the keys are bestowed to others to assist in the work. And and he was reminded that this should not be taken lightly as those who receive the keys or oracles of God, as they're referred to here, will be brought into condemnation if they hold these responsibilities lightly. Sidney Rigdon, Frederick G. Williams are called to the fir- serve in the First Presidency and they are given a commission to preach the gospel to the world and to set in order the church. The instruction given to the church, and specifically the leadership, the prophet and his counselors, is also pertinent to our own personal restoration. In verse 15, it says, Set in order the churches, and study and learn, and become acquainted with all good books, and with languages, tongues, and people instruction to that we can apply to our own life, to put our life in order, to study and learn, to be acquainted with, to have, you know, education around uh, good principles, good things. You know, we think about that verse in, in Alma, where he talks about the, um, the growing of the seed and, and feeling that, that good, that goodness swell in our heart. And when it, in fact, it says in Alma 32, 28, when you feel these swelling motions, ye will begin to say within yourself, it must needs be that this is a good seed or that the word is good for it beginneth to enlarge my soul. It beginneth to enlighten my understanding. Yea, it beginneth to be delicious to me. And all truth found wherever we find it has that same effect on our soul and our heart and our mind and to, um, and this admonition to, to set in order the church. We, we see that repeated to us specifically in scripture to set in order our lives, to set in order to, um, to be organized and to study and to learn in verse 24, they're reminded to search diligently Pray always and be believing, and all things shall work together for your good. If ye will, 
If ye walk uprightly and remember the covenant wherewith ye have covenanted one with another. Again, great reminders of the need for us to search diligently, to pray always, to be believing, to, to remember that God has us in his hands, that all, um, all shall work, all things shall work together for our good, for our good, good. As we journey through life, may we practice patience with ourselves and others as we undergo the restoration of all things, both personally and as a community. May we apply the principle of restoration in our own life as we increase our hope, faith, and charity.